Roman Groschon, you seem especially delighted to have Pastor Maldonado as your new teammate. Why is that? Well, I think Pastor, he brings great passion and energy and experience to the team. And that's why you're so excited? Why, yes. Really? Uh, yes, uh, the passion and the um, energy and the uh, uh, whatever else I just said. Really? Fine, okay. It's because he will make me look good. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. The one in your left ear is called Zog. Hello. The one in your right ear is called Richard. Hello. And the guy in both your ears is me. Hello, I'm Gareth. How are you doing? As you know, on this programme, we get to drive lots of cars, lots of new, exciting and interesting cars. But I thought we'd talk about, for a change, instead of good cars, because we only tend to talk about the cars we really love on this show, we talk about the cars which were rubbish the worst cars ever i don't think we're going to come up with any sort of definitive list of the worst car in history but if we were going to volunteer some names some possibilities where would you start i'd vote with the trabant Mm. Yeah, so just a decent goes against. Although, have you ever but, driven a Trabant? In the Trabant? No, I haven't actually, no. I know no, no, some I Irish people who have, yes. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. And they also converted them into spot lamps for their stage show, which I thought was rather witty. But to defend the Trabant for a moment, could we not say that given the resources that mm. the mm-hmm. people that build it had to draw on, and given that they also did a few clever things, the sort of composite recycled panels, more yeah. or less, mm-hmm. something yeah. that, actually, I think. It mobilised a nation. Not so bad. Yeah, I'm not, not yeah, so bad I, I think that just feels like picking on the weedy kid at school. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, do, they were doing their best in difficult circumstances. Do you know the Trabant I would like to try, almost most of all? I suppose, really, for a purist going in the Trabant, you should try the original two-stroke, smoky, noisy... I'd love to give it a try. Trabant love to classic. But there was, towards the end of its life, when Volkswagen bought the factory... Put the they polo put the engine. polo engine yeah. in it. And I was like, OK, so a modern four-cylinder engine and in that sort of little car. I bet it's really Over light. I bet it what? went, though. I bet it went reasonably well. I bet it tore, it itself, tore itself to part. Probably did, just this whole Like thing putting a V8 apart. in a Mini, as yeah, Peter Sellers did, didn't it? The engine probably fell apart, and then they shredded the tyres all the time, suspension. I think that the truth is that probably a lot of the worst cars in history have just been forgotten. They died so quickly, and they moved on so quickly that we fortunately forgotten a lot of them. But on personal experience, probably the worst car I've ever had in some ways. I could make a case for two of the cars that I've owned being the worst. The Fiat Uno, on the grounds that it was some kind of bizarrely strong magnet for vandals and people that wanted to steal windscreens. What? Yeah, I Windscreens? I came down one morning, I got into the car ready to go to work, started the engine, looked straight ahead and thought, wow, I must have done a really good job cleaning this windscreen last time. And then suddenly dawned on me, I put my arm out and it went straight through where the windscreen should have been. And yeah, someone nicked the windscreen. That but is extraordinary. I had never That's heard what of I thought. Funny you should say that though, Zog, because before Violet and I were together, I was married and my ex-wife had a Fiat Uno, which we used to park outside the house, which was broken into, I think, three times. Because the Uno... Because you can bend back the top of the doors with your fingertips. Yes. Because there's no... fingertips. Because there's no guttering, you can get that grip and you simply bend it and you can reach in and get it three times. I was forever bending the car back. It had creases at the base of the window line. It was horrible. Yeah, ridiculous. Horrible. I hadn't thought of that. And the other one, and I'm sorry to say this, but MG Midget. I did love it. Had a lot of fun in it. Broke down all the time. The number of things that broke on that car. I could take on a tour of London pointing out places that I've broken Hang down on. in it. 
Is this the car that you eventually abandoned and then reclaimed some time later to find that somebody else had been using it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the one. See an earlier episode for that story. We talked about that a long time ago. Had they not put a new radiator in it? They'd obviously <laughs> use it well. They'd re-registered it. Basically, I had to steal back my own car, but I felt that it was okay to do it as it was still mine. Yeah. And I felt that, that was a perfectly good deal. Somebody had had use of my car for a year or so. They hadn't had to buy it. They'd got to run around an empty midget. I got the car back with a new radiator. Hmm, they um, paid you in a radiator yeah, I think for the per- use of the car. And I, I went straight down to the police station after I got it back and said, oh, by the way, if anyone makes a report never heard anything else about it so, do you know what's weird with that Fiat Uno thing that is as strange as I used to know a girl who lived in Tufnell Park in North London and she had a Citroen AX Tufnell Park's quite a leafy area but I used to live there and cars were always being done over because it's a bit leafy and badly street lit she came out one day got in her Citroen AX went to start it nothing called the AA, they came out, popped the bonnet, and the patrolman was a little bit baffled at first, and then eventually he went, ah, yes, well, hmm, should have spotted that. Uh, someone's stolen the starter motor. <laughs> and then another time she came out, and someone had taken the whole tailgate. <laughs> you it, know why? Isn't it easier to steal a car than to steal the starter motor? I mean, isn't it easy to nick the whole car? Well, I think it's just that thing which has probably sort of gone out of fashion now that cars are a bit better secured, which is that people sort of used to harvest parked mm-hmm. cars for mm-hmm. parts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And most famously, the people with BMW M3s used to come out and find that their door mirrors had been nicked because they had those special sort of aero touring car look ones that people with normal 3 Series wanted. And I know a bloke who went through sort of three sets of M3 door mirrors and eventually just put some normal 3 Series ones on because he was sick of it. Mm. I used to own a Volkswagen Jetta a very long time ago commodious boot could get my entire base stack in there and half a drum kit brilliant for that nothing like it in terms of boot space around at the time that was the car but this was in the 80s at the time when run dmc were massive and everyone was nicking VW. Beastie, no, Beastie, Beastie Boys. Sorry, Beastie, yeah. Beastie. Sorry, you're right. Run DMC would be uh, Adidas. I was going to yeah, say, don't ever yeah. stand still with your Adidas on, or they'd yeah. get ripped off you. But. <laughs> so I think there was a knock-on effect. People were nicking VW badges to wear around they their were, neck yeah, in that yeah, early rapper were. style. Yeah. But I also think there was a knock-on effect, but there were some VW owners who were so knocked about this, if they saw a VW, they'd nick the badge off it to put back on their own car. So there was this wave, this ripple of missing badges that went across all Volkswagen. Did you know that Volkswagen became aware of this as a problem and if you wrote to Volkswagen and said, hello, I like the Beastie Boys, but I'm very law-abiding, could you send me a badge, please? They would. And I did this. And as a sort of precocious 11, 12-year-old. But what came through was disappointingly not a real badge off a car. They'd had these sort of almost like uh, key rings made. Ah, just a flat oh, VW badge. No I that's still no have good. it. Do I still really? have it. And cool. uh, it's in all its glorious disappointment. But it did have, on the plus side, a loop on the top that you could put a very thin chain through so you didn't have to put it through the letters itself. But that is VW's way of trying to head this off at the pass by saying stop stealing stuff off our customers' cars yeah. Yeah, and you know, you know but they should have given you a real badge really. it should have been a mm. real steel badge well in the yeah, end that's, I, that's I went and stole one off a real car and then torched it so ha <laughs> think on <laughs> VW so far the nominations for the worst car ever we have the uh, Fiat, Fiat Uno, Uno. Uh, Fiat I don't think that's the fair. Fiat Uno's fault though really is it well I mean, the, the doors can be bent well, open by right, breathing on them a bit lame but yes, yes having the windscreen stolen I think that's all very <laughs> no, specific no 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 right. but I'm going to keep the MG Midget on that list because okay. it was remarkably unreliable unreliable is a good quality for a bad car they're supposed to work but no I reckon the whole reason for the windscreen coming out is on the Uno you could probably just lean on the roof and 
pop it out. You know, there was enough give. You'll probably just wet your hand and stick it to the screen. <laughs> We've got the Volkswagen Jetta is in the list as well for having its badge on the golf. That's not the car's fault. That really isn't the car's fault. It might be the worst car to own then, for that reason. Well, yes, in a very specific. I'm going to trade you here. Okay, I'm scrubbing Fiat Uno from the list. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got to take the Jetta off. We're keeping the MG Midget on, but we're losing the Jetta and we're losing the Fiat Uno. And we've still got the Trabant. Mm, see, we're both voting against you on that, but anyway... I, but I think we can keep the Trabant there, because although we have good arguments against the Trabant, it was still I think, awful. Gareth, non, yeah, it is basically still kind of horrible. So, yeah, got Trabant, MG Midget, can can I, we, we agreed? Can I nominate so, yeah, something? Good. And it's a bit of low-hanging fruit, really. But can I, you save it for after the break? All right, then, I will. We'll come to what Richard's nomination is for the worst car ever after this. Mr. Yang Yudong Long Wang, as head of the Chinese space programme, you must be very proud of your country's first mission to explore the surface of the moon. Yeah, we are delighted with the progress of our first lunar rover. Uh, lunar rover, it's usually pronounced lunar rover. No, it's lunar rover, based on the Rover 75 platform. Very smooth ride. Central, we got speed. We're talking about the worst cars ever today. I'm sure everyone will have personal experience of a car that let them down, which will colour how they feel. Not just about that individual car that they own, but the whole mark, quite possibly. Richard, you said you were about to nominate something. Is that really what it's about? Is it a car you have personal experience of? Yeah, well, I was going to say, this sounds like low-hanging fruit, because I think we were going to say, oh, name the worst cars. And I speak from the experience of low-hanging fruit because I wrote a whole book oh, about yeah, bad you, cars. Yeah, you, yeah, you did write and, a book. And it was. This, this yeah, is your book, Crap Cars. Crap Cars, still yeah. available in all good bookshops, I think. And, you know, that was just a series of soft targets gently kicked while they were lying on the floor. But <laughs> I was going to nominate one of the cars from the book, which I have personal experience of, and it sounds like a soft target, but having driven one... It deserves it. The original Lada, the... Um, the 124 uh-huh. Fiat model yes, copy. Exactly. The Reaver, was it called? Well, this was a pre-Reaver. This was uh, What was it called? The Lada Saloon, was it yeah, called? Yeah, it wasn't just 1500. Yeah, yeah, I actually drove one of these. Very, very early one from the 70s. Yeah. And we made a programme called The Cars of Star many years ago with yeah. Martin Wilson presenting, which is the first thing I ever worked on in TV. And I saw this programme for the first time in 15 years, just the other week. Wow. Uh, yeah, it hasn't stood the test of time. <laughs> but it was the first thing I ever made in television, and I was credited as scriptwriter and tramp in the. And uh, tramp. <laughs> I played a Russian tramp in it. I played. <laughs> played <laughs> makes me sound like Kenneth Branagh or something. I didn't play. I lay on a pile of rocks on an old slag heap in the East Midlands, and a larder drove past, and I was dressed as a Russian vagrant for a scene that was meant to look like you know, the bleak wastes of Mother Russia. We digress. Um, good fun programme to make, and then this little Welsh teacher lent us his very early larder which he then rolled into a tree whilst doing a shot for the camera. It's a very long story. The, the director wanted the car to appear to roll downhill with no driver in it. So he said, get behind the wheel, but duck down behind the dash and don't have the engine running. Just roll down the hill. I'll shout when you stop. And the second take, the director didn't shout in time and the little Welsh guy popped his head up from behind the dashboard just as he was going towards a tree, oh uh, which he then hit. Uh, at very low speed, but he banged his head on the dashboard and I had to take him to casualty <laughs> and, and then drive him home, so just outside Cardiff. And then the next 
next week I had to go back and get his larder from the garage where we'd stashed it <laughs> and drive it from somewhere in Gloucestershire across to South Wales. And it was a drizzly Friday evening and it was the most miserable experience. Horrible car, thunking rides, it all felt loose and floppy and the steering's incredibly heavy, the gear change, it just felt like it wasn't getting a gear all the time. Mm -hmm. Everything was very heavy but very sort of stolid and lifeless. It was mm -hmm. just a horrible, joyless experience. And I started to think, as I was going around and around about it, it was a bit damp and I thought, I'm just going to see, I wonder if it'll sort of drift or go a bit sideways. Uh, it's a stupid thing to do because the steering's <laughs> yeah, incredibly low gear. And I remember yeah. thinking... Oh, should I do this? But then I might crash. And I thought, well, if I crash, at least it'll be exciting. Because it was just, that was a horrible... And it probably had cross-fly tyres. Oh, it? dear. It didn't go sideways. It actually turned out to be a bit more grippy than I expected, having not enough power to sort of unsettle yeah, back yeah, end. Yeah. And I finally got to South Wales in a state of deep gloom because of this. <laughs> mm. I will defend the Fiat 124-based Lada 1500... And it's on the South Wales ticket, funnily enough. Mm -hmm. For many, many years, the official taxi in Cardiff, mm. the black and white painted cars, were all larders. Were they? Every single one of them. And the taxi drivers, because I've been interested in cars since I was little, I used to go to Cardiff to work, I'd get in a taxi and I'd enter into a conversation with the driver, say, oh, what do you think of your larder? Oh, marvellous. Sorry, wrong accent. It was a standard London cab driver accent. Oh, marvellous car. It's a great car, this. No problem. It breaks down, you can fix it yourself. That's the joy of it. And the, everyone on the rank has got the spare bit in the back. You need a bit for your car. Oh, they're all here. Cost nothing, man. Cost nothing. I think it kept Cardiff mobile. Curiously, as that Trabant kept Eastern Europe mobile for 30 years, I think the Lada kept Cardiff mobile for probably 10 years as well. So I don't know if you're allowed to have the Lada in there as the worst car ever. Hmm. Yeah. I went to university in Cardiff. There was a lot of Rover 600s with black and white cars. Got up market, see? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I bet they suddenly went, oh, we didn't realise cars had to be because <laughs> 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 I would imagine that after a larder, a Rover 600 would feel like a Rolls-Royce Phantom. Yeah, I, yeah. It sounds like it, yeah. It yeah. was actually just a Honda Accord underneath, really, wasn't it? Mostly but in With some wood fillet on the dash. So well, that's yeah. about all yeah. you get, yeah. All right, okay. We talked about cars that let you down and cars that are crude. Sorry, so I'll give you a I was going to say, yeah, I was going to offer up a nomination for the worst racing car ever, which would be any Lamborghini run by the Japanese oh. <laughs> I don't think the car is the problem there this is the J-Lock the Japanese Lamborghini owners club who raced cars at Le Mans massively unsuccessfully for many years spectacularly unsuccessfully never made Comically a lap on most occasions we can't really nominate them because they gave us such joy yeah I true. do no, and, was... and we're mocking them but we love them yeah. we do love I them I have but one criticism of the Japanese Lamborghini owners club efforts at Le Mans, and it's something that seems so obvious that they should have made happen, is that one of their drivers should have been Taka Anui. Yes! <laughs> yeah, yes. they'd have been perfect. Oh, Imagine yes. Imagine the support. Racing cars. Make it happen, people. Make it Come happen. on! Come on! Okay, worst racing cars ever. Worst Formula One car ever. I don't know, mm. a LaRousse or um, any of the Minardis that failed oh, or, or, to do or, um, anything. More like a Leighton House or something from that era. Yeah, 
specific. Specific, yeah. Specific. Oh, the Mastercard Eric Broadley period uh, lower, yeah. which was like was it eight seconds off the pace or something? If I remember, <laughs> or even is that one of the ones where they just went get it off the track? <laughs> it's dangerous. Oh, I'll tell you what. Do you remember that comically terrible 2013 McLaren? Oh, honestly, but true. It wasn't a great car. That isn't a great car. Another possible nomination for worst car ever, and I'm kind of serious about this. Porsche Cayenne. Um, because here's the thing. Now, I absolutely grant you that it's a fantastic bit of engineering. I absolutely grant you that it's mm-hmm. done. I think everything that the engineers wanted it to do and that the designers wanted it to do, mm. but. A car is a thing that it brings together an awful lot of stuff. It brings together a lot of the best that we can do in engineering, and it also does, in terms of design, puts into that thing a lot of your values and a lot of things that you aspire to. It expresses a lot about our culture and what is important to us, as well as a lot of basic practical stuff. The thing is that what that vehicle says... You know, just like the Hummer, the Hummer H2 says, it says, I'm not concerned about how elegant and beautiful and efficient a solution this is to a problem, I'm concerned about crushing the problem with a hammer. I yes. can, I'm just going to bring the biggest, most brutal argument I can to this debate and roll over everything. You know, it's a stupid way of going fast. I will that, not allow that, that, you that That's that why car. I think you can make a case for it being one of the worst cars ever. I won't allow Zog to volunteer the Cayenne as the worst car ever. Using... Something you've said as evidence in the defence. Uh, that uh, it. Do you want me to tell you? I can't remember what a summation of it was. I will tell you. What you used to say about the KN is that it was a terrible idea, brilliantly, brilliantly executed. That's it. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I offer two further lines of defence for the KN? One, it's one of the most successful and profitable cars that Porsche have ever made. And it's kept Therefore, it yep. pays for them to do yep. 911 variants, yep. funny little things Canary like uh, yes, and, yes. The, uh, oh, yeah. and the 918 and yeah. even little specialty things like the Boxster Spider and stuff like that. Yeah. They can pay for those. Secondly, and I think this is very important, the Porsche Cayenne, along with the BMW X5, makes it easier to spot ghastly, selfish, appalling human beings on the road. <laughs> yeah, and avoid right. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, you're right. Coming soon for Xbox One and PS4. Japanese Lamborghini at Le Mans Racing. The ultimate extremely short racing game. Featuring intensely detailed first lap rendering and hyper-realistic immediate breakdown sounds. Described by Sweaty Nerd magazine as totally disappointing. If you don't have a lot of spare time for gaming... No, I don't. You need Japanese Lamborghini at Le Mans Racing. It's over before it began. Again. Japanese Lamborghini at Le Mans Racing. Oh, God. Brilliant! I'm over. You lose. Gareth Jones on speed. One of the most important qualifications as to whether a car is bad or not, in my opinion, 
is the way that it looks. Richard, you've said it yourself many times on this show. People buy cars on their looks. Even if it's a piece of crud, if it looks great, people will want it to be great and will buy that car. True. Yes, true. yes that's true. Fiat Multipla looks terrible. Who would ever have bought it? I want to qualify that by saying that I think because we know about cars and we like cars and we think about them probably far too much, that we tend to see beyond looks and we would go, the multiple is a very, very clever bit of design and we like it for that, even though it wasn't what you'd call pretty. But I think in general, people see a car, they go, that looks nice, I'm going to go and buy one of those. I've met many people with slightly funny eyes and slightly large foreheads who are tremendous company. (laughs) And that is very much the multipler, isn't it? Slightly funny eyes and a slightly funny forehead. I love the multipler. Not allowed. Not allowed. It's a great car. You're being too cruel. You're being too kind to it. But yeah, continue. Yeah, okay. Look, on the other hand, the Pontiac Aztec... (laughs) That was, yeah, that was terrible. That was a terrible car. Although, again, I'm not going to allow us to wholly trash it because it sort of rode again in the excellent American drama series Breaking Bad where it was an integral part of a character because it was his car. The lead character, Walter White, drove an Aztec in beige, which I gather the production... Beige. Beige. The production sprayed it beige because they wanted it to look sort of slightly... And it had one odd wheel on it. it Brilliant. But this is kind of an example of how using a rubbish car in the right bit of popular culture can absolutely rehabilitate it. For instance, the DMC-12, known to most Back to the Future fans as the DeLorean, was not a great car. Oh, was it? The DeLorean was not a great car, I think but most for so many people, it's not, iconic. Not, not, not I've driven a DeLorean. It's it certainly underdeveloped. It's terrible and so slow. Underpowered. Slow. Yeah, that yeah. Dovan. Very. Two things. Two things about DeLorean: slow and low. Very low. And another thing about a DeLorean: I believe that more than one DeLorean spare part supplier will sell you a fake flux capacitor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's become a bit hackneyed, doesn't it? When you see the DeLorean, it's been done up like the car. I, it is, yeah. Future, yeah. yeah. Come on, it's like every time you see it, someone's had an Aston DB5 restored and they've had it sprayed silver birch, so it's like yeah. the Bond car. Oh, come yeah. on, yeah. the but, original. But if it's a DeLorean, what else can you do with it? What well, else are you going to do with it? I don't know. Just drive around slowly in it, because that's all it can do, admiring its awfulness. Did when you it, know? When this baby hits 88 miles yeah. an hour, you've got to realise that I've put a new engine in it. <laughs> 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 That's why that film is so unrealistic. It's not the time travel bit, it's the fact that the DeLorean could do 88. It's rubbish! <laughs> These Hollywood morons. Um, there's a story which I've never managed to get to the bottom of, which is that, in fact, John DeLorean vaguely knew Spielberg and people in that world, because he used to hang around in, in Hollywood well, yeah, a lot. Yeah, And he, he was going out with Raquel Welch, Welch which, yeah, we, oh, which we know from the, the album, the Neon Neon album, yeah, yeah. yes. And the track on that, I, mean, mm-hmm. sort of, I can see my reflection in Michael Douglas's sunglasses, and it's, it's mm-hmm. that thing, he was very much part of that Hollywood world. Mm. When they were talking about making that film, he was desperately trying to get product placement with his car. And I think originally it was going to be a time-travelling fridge. But he was adamantly trying to place the DMC-12 somewhere. By the time they got to make that film, it was all too late. But then they remembered the car Hmm. and stuck it in there. But it took on a whole new quality because there was something quite sad about it as this failed silver turkey that made it funny and the doors sagging every time he tried to get out and Michael J. Fox banging his head on it. It was all it became a sort of comedy car that then became a hero. But originally DeLorean had envisaged getting that car into a film like that as just mm. a hero car and he was very savvy about 
the appeal of okay. The DeLorean would be almost forgotten mm. in the popular yeah. imagination yeah. were yeah. it not for Back to the Future. So yeah. that's exactly that. His so dreams he, he came true, totally but right. just too it's late. Saved yeah. it. So consequently, applying that same rule, does the role of the Pontiac Aztec in Breaking Bad save that car enough that you would buy one and run one? No, because I think well, it's probably terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I bet values have gone up in hipster places, though, where they watch Breaking Bad. I bet oh, yeah. if you've got certain parts of LA and New York and Portland, Oregon, mm. or something, they'll all be desperately trying to buy Aztec <laughs> in the way they buy BMXs or something, or people here buy a Rally Chopper. It's so ironic. Yeah. Okay, let's come to a classic suggestion for a terrible car. But is it the worst car of all time, Richard? The Austin Allegro. No. It was a shocking It's a bit car. rubbish, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't, really look great. doesn't look great. I'm going to defend the Allegro because you're both looking at me expecting me to defend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you're on the spot. Because first of all, it didn't look the way that its designer wanted it to. chap called Harris Mann also did the Princess, which was a very futuristic car. Yes, yeah. And the TR7. He was trying things that no one else was mm -hmm. ahead of his time. And the one thing on the TR7... No, they don't. Yeah. But you look at the TR7, it's got that great crease at the side, which the apocryphal mm. story has it that Giorgetto Gigliaro, Ital Design, went, oh my God, he's done it to the other side as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you look now, loads of cars have got that at the side. He was way ahead of his time. Poor old Harris Mann gets much maligned, mostly for the Allegro. But you look at his original design sketches for it, which he freely allows to be published because he wants to set the record straight. Mm. It wasn't a bad-looking thing. The problem was they translated it into metalwork. It was in somebody else's hands and they made a bit of a balls of it but to, to be clear I put it to you Mr Porter yes. we are discussing the cars as they were on the road not yes, as right. they were no, in the driver's imagination yeah. no it looked ridiculous it looked like a big fat pig of a car and mm. particularly because it replaced the Austin 1100 which is a very petite pretty mm. car mm. Mm. Michelotti who designed the 1100 what uh, I think it was wasn't no, it no no I think they were Pininfarina no? Pininfarina very, oh, very chummy with Austin at that point do you know why Pininfarina started designing um, BLMC and BMC cars wasn't a daughter married to someone in the UK? No, no. Mm, not the story that. I'm thinking of. Go on, man, tell me. Yeah, it's the Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> that, I don't know where to go with that. Wait, I really? should just leave now and yeah. you won't be able to sleep what? tonight. Going, what the? How? The Duke of Edinburgh was it? Why do I want to get some Italian designers? Yeah, that was it. Very good, Prince Philip. He went on a tour of Longbridge, an official royal visit. They showed him into the inner sanctum of the design studio and showed him some forthcoming models. And with his typical outspoken, but in this case, thankfully not racist views, he went, well, these are all a bit pedestrian, a bit boring, aren't they? They're going to look rather dull and not sell against the foreign competition. You should get one of those foreign designer chappies in to spice these up a bit and they went oh, okay your highness we will and then they called Pininfarina that's the story uh, they should have kept uh, Pininfarina on for the Allegro then shouldn't well, they uh, do you know what the worst thing is Pininfarina did do a series of design studies called the Aerodynamica cars they did uh, one based yeah. on the Austin 1800 they did one yeah. based on the 1100 and they even did a mini which didn't quite work so well very beautiful elegant cars mm, uh, and became Citroens became well Pininfarina were very cross because then mm. the Citroen CX and GS were yeah. pretty much just these exactly cars, those cars. the Rover SD1 was very influenced by them as well beautiful mm. beautiful mm. slippery cars and BMC being the idiots they are they didn't even officially sanction these Pininfarina had to beg for bits to make them mm. and then BL never took them up on it but yes yeah, so yeah. I can't defend the way it looks because it didn't look nice I've, I've nothing really to say about the fact that I suppose it was quite well rust proofed apparently and quite roomy they were trying okay. hard but they well, made a right mm. royal mess of it okay mm. my final nomination for one of the worst cars ever, if not the worst car ever, car which I owned for a good number of years a long time ago, it would regularly not start. It was 
pretty rusty. I had not one but two major engine rebuilds. Was this a rather pretty car? A beautiful car. Okay, I think I know the one you're talking about here. Worst car, really? Well, the truth is, the truth is, this car, which I love above almost any car I've ever owned, my old Lancia HPE, was gorgeous, elegant, practical. It drove well, it was fun, but it broke down all the time and it was pretty rotten in so many places, in some places anyway. And the horrible realisation is that sometimes if you own a car in which you have to invest a lot of either emotion or care or money or a combination of all three of those things will be, there's an expression, the Didicoy have an expression for it, my old tuffalo, which means something that's bad for you, but also your best mate who gets you into trouble, he's your old tuffalo. And therefore, my beautiful, wonderful HPE, one of the greatest cars I ever owned, because it was genuinely so terrible in so many ways could be a candidate for being the worst car ever because I invested so much in it, too much, to keep it going. I'm glad I did, and I would never do anything other than that again. I still want to own an HPE. I still want a Volumex. I still want one today, you know, even in my post-electric car period. I still want a Volumex. But isn't it funny how the worst things in the world can be the best things in the world if it's a car? You've been listening to the philosophy of Zog. Goodbye. Richard. Goodbye. And me, Gareth. We're going to leave you with a tune. This one I've written and recorded in the style of Paul Weller. It's called Traffic. See ya. Something inside me wants to live in the 60s and the 70s.
get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>